Hello and welcome to the Sleep Mums A to Z's, the only podcast that irons out the WTF of parenthood by having new increases. Sorry. In this series, we talk to people and experts about a range of different things that will help you through the long nights and short years. I'm Kat Cuby, journalist and broadcaster whose glass is always half full of Ribena. I wish it was something more exciting, but I literally cannot get enough of the stuff. And this is Sarah Carpenter, baby and child expert and sleep consultant who's as comforting as a hot cup of coffee. I bet you've got one too. I have it this morning and mine never oh seems to stay half full either. It's always empty every time I pick Today we're talking about something that is not remotely controversial. It's why we are all here. And yet, it is still something that is widely considered a wee bit taboo. Something we don't talk about, it's embarrassing, secretive, or perhaps even shameful. Fertility or its bed partner, infertility. Did you know that one in eight couples will have difficulty getting pregnant? I would say looking at my friends though, I feel like the number is actually way higher than that. So many of us struggle. Today is F for fertility. On the podcast today to talk us through their story are Louise and Paul. Hi guys, welcome to the Sleep Mums. It's ace to have you with us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, hi. (laughs) Uh, So Louise is a professional dancer and Paul is a video communications expert. So that means he basically teaches people to chat better and more effectively on video and on screen. Something we've all had to do a hell of a lot more of over the last wee while. So it feels like you guys are really good people to talk about this because... Well, in terms of communicating, I guess it can still be quite a hard topic to talk about. But I want to start at the beginning, like the very beginning, because I'm both nosy and quite romantic. So tell us, how did you guys meet? What's your story? Go on, Louise, after you. Oh, God. Um, So a friend of mine um, was a burlesque dancer. I am liking the start of this story already. (laughs) Story should start like that. Exactly. So this film... Um, was was rubbish so it went straight to DVD they needed to promote it somehow and there was lots of zombies in this film and naked zombies I should say and they said does this porn my friend burlesque dancer to promote the launch they had a burlesque competition or a, zo- a, a zombie zombie competition mm-hmm. um, so my friend said Hey, I've been invited to this thing. A few friends are performing. It's free drink. Do you want to go? To the answer, the answer to that was yes. Yeah. And then um, one of the actors in this movie, I'm not going to mention the title of the film, but <laughs> as Louise said. Well, I kind of want to watch it now. So <laughs> Zombie Women of Satan. I didn't. <laughs> not the greatest film you've ever seen in your life. An actor I represented at the time, I used to um, run a talent agency at the time, was in the movie. Same thing. It's the launch I heard there was some sort of zombie burlesque competition. I heard it was free alcohol. Me at the time, this being nearly 11 years ago, went, that sounds like something I should be at. I went, we were both there, we met. And 11 years later, here we are, as a result of genuinely and honestly, the worst movie you will ever (laughs) see in your entire life. But this is the beauty of Silver Linings. (laughs) And also, I love the fact that your eyes met across a crowded room of burlesque dancers and zombies. I mean, that is pretty (laughs) unique. There's a lot of, you know, half-naked burlesque zombie women, and my eyes were drawn to a fully clothed Louise, so that's got to be a positive sign, right? Who chatted who up? Did you get together really quickly? Tell tell us the love story. Well, I um, saw Louise across the room. 
went over to say hello. I'm quite a confident chap. Some might say cocky in these kind of things. <laughs> and in all honesty, when I got you know, within a couple of foot of Louise, I got nervous and carried on walking. No. Had a word myself, plucked up the courage, <laughs> went back and introduced myself properly. And let's be honest, you thought I was gay, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the white shoes. The white shoes. Yeah, it's the white God. shoes. God. <laughs> it's all right. It was 11 years ago. We'll give you a break. <laughs> yeah, I you should have done, to be honest. They weren't great 11 years ago. <laughs> and then what happened? I was going to say forced you to go on a date, but I actually think that's kind of right work because you weren't you that keen, of, were yeah, you? Yeah, you kind of pushed and walked to my friend who I went to the party with. She was like, oh, just go on a, just go on a bloody date. It, it, if anything, it's a nice dinner. It's summer. It's over. Um, and then, yeah, just... <laughs> Doesn't matter yeah. if the chat is just yeah. <laughs> And he wears white shoes. <laughs> yeah, ignore the white shoes. You weren't convinced on the date, were you? He took us to a really nice restaurant. And we had a great we had a great chat and I thought, oh okay. And then the next day he wanted to take us to the theatre. And I was like, Oh, love the theatre. Yeah, okay. Mm. You sound you sound so materialistic, right? I, I thought he was gay, I hated his shoes, but he took me to a nice restaurant to the theatre before I went with it. So that's kind of what happened. <laughs> and love blossomed. Uh-huh. Love blossomed very quickly, right? Oh, yeah. And we were living together within three or four months. Mm. Like really quick. Yeah. Some would say too quick, but... Yeah. I think my friends back home are probably thinking, what the hell is going on? This is very quick. But because I didn't... Because I was living in London and my family were in Newcastle, the conversation never really came up. I think when you know, you know as well. Hand on heart, right? This is going to sound ridiculous. Louise is going to pull a face or or make a sound. I knew on the first date. I know that sounds ridiculous and I know that sounds cliché and romantic, but... I don't mind being cliched. On that first date, I knew this was it. Louise was nowhere near as convinced, but I knew straight away. I really did. I've got goosebumps. See, I told you I was cheesy and romantic. (laughs) Me too, Kat. Don't worry about it. I don't remember the moment I talked to my husband too. We also moved in, by the way, after three months and I totally knew when I first met him too but I don't actually remember the moment I talked to him about whether we wanted kids but we must have done it at some point and I guess I don't remember because I think it was probably a bit vague we probably were like yeah if we can um but the sort of the timing of trying for a family was definitely in debate for a little while because I was quite keen <laughs> I, you know sometimes people just need a bit of persuasion and um, and you don't always have the luxury of time Personally, I kind of wanted to get on with it. He was quite happy having fun. But um, did you guys talk about wanting to have kids or have a family in the early part of your relationship? Or were you just sort of blown away with love and adoration for each other? Or, well, at least Paul for Louise. <laughs> I was going to say, I was blown away with love and adoration, but it took a little more um, cultivation on the other side. I, I don't think we, I don't remember talking about it, like hardly at all, do you? No, I can't really remember talking about when we met, maybe for years, I don't, I don't actually know. Yeah, a bit like you maybe, Kat, like we must have yeah. spoke about it at some point, it must have come up because, you know, that's the way life is, but I don't feel like we had a, a solid, considered conversation about it, even, you know, we were together five years pretty much before we got married mm-hmm. I don't think we had a conversation about it before we, I, don't, I don't think we had a conversation about it before we were married more than 
passing conversations. Can you remember anything? No, I don't think I can. I think it wasn't something that was on my radar. I think when I met Paul, I was still young and loving London and I don't even think motherhood even crossed my mind. I didn't, I'm an only child. I didn't really think I was very maternal. Um, and then I think maybe just towards when we were getting married, say, oh, actually, is this something we really want to, we really want to do or we really want to, want to try? I think maybe we did start talking about it a bit then. I think, I think maybe we just both quite quickly agreed that it's something we both kind of wanted. Mm-hmm. I think, I think yeah. that's as far as we got by the time we got married. Yeah. We both kind of want kids. But we also thought if it doesn't, if, if it doesn't happen, we're quite yeah. happy living in this life. Yeah, my, my thoughts always were I was wanted children, but I didn't necessarily think it was a necessity for my life. That was kind of my attitude on it. You know, I would say something yeah. very different now, yeah. but that's what it was there. And yeah, we seem to match without talking about it too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably quite common relationships, as I'm saying. You know, that's kind of what happened with my husband and my myself. Um, I don't want to drop my friend in it, but I'm sure she won't mind. But a very good friend of mine pretty much got in the car on her first date with her now husband and said, I want to have kids. And she had done this in other relationships and um, maybe not to quite the success. And he went, brilliant, me too. So like for them, it was a very, it was a very important like conversation right at the outset but I think for lots of people it is a much more natural kind of yeah we'll see what happens I love the boldness of your friend by the way that is that is the way in right this is so important to me cards on the table love that um and was was there a point then where it became more of a conversation I think after we got married maybe one or two years in I feel like you led the change I feel like you I'm now trying to think how long we've been married and how long one or two years is in Louise gets all the anniversary dates wrong isn't quite sure we've been married you know (laughs) I think about one or two years into our marriage I'll help you out about three three and a half years ago (laughs) okay yes I think that's when you started you know saying you know what I think that's when it started to come from you yeah I think oh gosh as a woman you think oh god am I getting Am I getting a bit old now? Do like a lot of my friends have older children back in Newcastle. Um, in London, not so many of my friends, or our friends, had kids. And then it was something that we started thinking about, and we started talking a bit more about. And you were quite fluid, like, "Oh, let's just see. Well, let's see what happens." But then I think a woman's brain, you start thinking, "Oh my God, should I do it? Is it now? Should we? Should we start now?" Thinking about contraception, should I? Should I come off what I'm on to try and? it's a weird thing isn't it you spend for lots of women and guys but it you know it does tend to the onus does tend to rely on women a wee bit more you spend a large part of your life trying not to get pregnant and then there's this point where you either decide or you start talking about it and it is a bit like oh right what happens and you sort of you you think it's something that happens really easily because that's sort of what we're brought up to think, I think, to kind of dissuade people from having kids as teenagers. And then the whole actual process, like that window of fertility in a month, 
not that I'm encouraging everyone, you know, if people are ready, but that window is pretty small, actually, like once you start trying and you're like, oh my God, like if I knew this when I was a teenager, <laughs> I'd have been having loads of sex. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but things like that, you're right. Like I had no idea the window is so small. And, you know, at the time, so, you know, let's go back three or four years. I'm, I'm 41, 42 years old at the time. And I, I was stunned by the amount of information like that, that I just, I, how has this passed me by in the 42 years of it on this planet? It was, exactly. it was fascinating. It was incredible. And I think also even perhaps more so as a woman that you, you know, you have this cycle and you just, it's just this thing that kind of happens to you. I know some people are very in tune with that, but lots of people aren't. And then when you are at that point of trying to think about having kids, so you're like, all oh, right, like you suddenly start to understand like the mechanics of it and ovulation and tracking these things. And also, you know, perhaps if you get very in tune with it, how much it impacts your life over that period of a month that it, and you know, you're like, how do we not know this? We, as you say, you had 42 years of not knowing essentially about ovulation, but how do we not know, <laughs> you know? But also once you start going down that route, you know, you, all of a sudden there was apps for this and cycles for this and th- you, once you and, it, and you were you led this right but once you started going into this it just it just kept coming yeah right? it kept it was, coming it was, and then you get more ending. and then you get more obsessed with all of the little things and the little changes and maybe this app's not right and I should be on this app or should I use this stick and it blew my mind but I think you know we got you very quickly you went from I'd like children. I feel like it's the right time. I was a yes, but was a bit more relaxed and fluid about mm-hmm. it. And, you know, Louise, you're not somebody that particularly gets anxious or worried, but very quickly, your anxiousness around this started, growing. started to escalate. Mm-hmm. You, you were quickly going through steps that is, is actually quite against your nature. I think that's maybe quite common, though, because as as I sort of said at the beginning, like it's this thing that we think should happen really easily. And actually that's not true for most, for lots and lots of couples, but it's this sort of thing that's kind of built into cultural understanding of how it all works. And I think that can make it, it can make people anxious because you're like, well, why isn't it? Why isn't it happening right now when I've made the decision? Yeah. Cause when you're younger, you think, Oh God, every time I have sex, Oh my God, I might be pregnant. Oh my God, I might be pregnant. Yeah. And then when you want to when you want to get pregnant, you're like, wow, okay, that that window is teeny, and <laughs> it's really hard to get pregnant. And it is literally a miracle if somebody gets pregnant. I mean, I think in general, as we're talking about, fertility is still pretty widely misunderstood. And and as I said, I think that starts in childhood. We want to deter kids from having sex, so the way it's communicated is is really important but honestly I think I don't think that that being communicated would change teenage pregnancies or not because I think actually having an understanding of our bodies how they work in relation to each other is actually better sex education than just and I'm sure it has probably changed because you know we're going back a little while since I was at school um but you know I think that is still a little bit kind of pervasive in culture so you know you you kind of got a bit further further down the line what at what point did you start 
to where you were you said you were beginning to get a bit anxious were you were you worrying and what sort of routes did you take um so at first I came off um I was on the coil so I came off the coil and we decided oh let's just see what happens you come off contraception with our old brains oh it happens really easily <laughs> like they're late and you're like wow yeah. okay maybe we need to really look into this and that's when the world of apps and things opened up and I was like oh, and OPKs and all that. let's start so I got an app and you had to measure your temperature um and then you yeah so I started doing that and then it was, a was that each morning the temperature? it was each morning when you woke up and you had to measure your temperature but you would worry about have I done it when I first wake up should I do it now after I wake up or fall back to sleep when have I woken up like yeah the longer you use the app and you don't feel pregnant fall pregnant for me Sometimes I might wake up at 5am and then I think, oh, I could just have a few more hours sleep. And then when you don't fall pregnant that month, you're like, oh, should I have took my temperature at 5am when I woke up or when I woke back up at 7am? So and do I need to do it every day at 7am? Should I set an alarm at 7am every day? So when it's not working, I start to question myself and is this app working, which then caused unnecessary stress, I'm guessing, like on the inside, so... Um, do you like? Do you feel like the the apps were actually causing you more stress than they were helping? So I think really just on that the green window when it was like okay this is when you ha- should have sex sort of straight after that green window when y- you've um, ovulated you would forget it or I would forget about it for a few mm-hmm. and then it would start yeah. again you'd be like oh it's coming up soon what if this window is not right should we maybe start having sex a few days before the green window or should we yeah you sort of you're second guessing everything yeah, everything all of the time for me kind of trying to consider that period of time a bit bit now from the balcony it felt like the the the, the window of opportunity app was useful if it was considered in like a soft way. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, now looking back at it, we've never really spoke about this looking back, thinking about the kind of the, when we started, you trying to analyze the temperature each morning, it felt like as we got into more and more layers that did actually make it more stressful mm-hmm. and more pressure. And I'm almost certain more difficult to actually conceive. It was like, it was almost as if there was so many options Maybe for us and everybody, of course, different. Maybe we went a bit too far with it. I don't know. That's what it feels like for me now. I look back. Mm. What do you think? So, as well as the app, were you like, were you peeing on sticks to see when you're ovulating, or did you kind of just use the app? No. So it was probably about how many months? It was probably the month before I felt pregnant. My friend was like, "Why don't you use the the, the pee sticks, the ovulation sticks? Why don't you give them a go? Really work for me." I was like, yeah, okay, I got them. So then I'd use them and, again, there's an instruction manual of when you're supposed to pee in the morning. Um, so you follow that and you pee in a dark line and you're like, oh, well, it's not as dark as it should be, so it mustn't be today. And then the next day you pee on it and the line's a bit light and you're like, oh, my God, it should have been yesterday. Oh, God, does that mean – and then I was like, oh, my God. And then I was getting – this had been how many months then, do you think? I can't remember. And I was like, wow, okay. Now, I was like, what do you think, Paul? Are these, what, what colour are the sticks? I took a picture of yesterday's. and took... So for that month, oh, I don't think we had sex. It was just too stressful. It was like, is this supposed to be the time? Is it not? Do you want to have sex? Oh, I don't want to have sex. Do you want to have sex? No, we definitely don't want to have sex. Yeah. 
God, it's a lo- it's a lot though, isn't it? Like all I, I, all these things that are meant to help you. And I do, th- as you say, in a soft way, they can in some, some circumstances, but they can also be mm-hmm. extremely stressful. Right, and I think as well, you know, we um, Louise got pregnant, and then we had a difficult miscarriage, and you know, also I had no idea till then how common that was else that's maybe not spoken anywhere near as much about as it should be um but the kind of trying again after that it's like the pressure went up again it almost like yeah the pressure was up again there wasn't it and that was also contributing to this oh god I think yeah trying to conceive after you've had a miscarriage is a multi-layered um emotional thing because you know you are still grief you are you're still experiencing the grief from that miscarriage and I think that's not talked about that much you know at whatever point and whatever way it happens women men should be allowed to grieve um because it is it is a grief and um you're you're dealing with that on top of this kind of future thinking hopes which um, and then you tie in all those other th- things like apps or being on sticks and things and the stress of that. And it's so much like it's a heavy, it's a heavy thing. But it also feels very, it can feel very private because even though, as you say, um, obviously miscarriage is incredibly common. It is still something that we don't talk about that much. Yeah, the three month thing, because you you talk the first three months is really, um, is is the the worrying time or the time you've got away. So you don't really tell very many people, but then when you have a miscarriage, you're like, God, I want to I want yeah. to tell my best friends, this is who I need to talk to about, but you haven't told them that you're pregnant. So it's just like quite out of the blue. And um, So yeah, so you have to tell them not only that you were pregnant, but that you're not anymore. And that's an awful conversation to have because you don't want to be explaining all of that when you are in that process of grief too. Yeah. And that was a conversation we have with anyone because I don't think we, we you know, Everyone, yeah, your family, everyone. That was the conversation we had. This has happened. This, you know, it's it's difficult, and, and there's no doubt about it. It's, people don't speak about it anywhere near as much as they as they should. Um, we but, actually said moving forward, if we fall pregnant again, we would tell our nearest friends and family that we were pregnant. So I think rather than it being a taboo, we decided that we would tell it, tell them, so it wasn't. It made, us, it's made us a lot more open, yes. that's for sure. Yeah. It made us much more open moving forward. I think, um, you know, I think obviously different people feel differently about how much they share or don't share. But certainly I think telling people that you would tell if if something was to go wrong is a really important thing. Because as you say, they're already there with you if, if you need to tell them that the worst has happened. I think even when the conversation is more caring though like what we're talking about people can often feel like they're full of just platitudes like I felt pretty strongly after our miscarriage and I'm no way comparing that to the the bigger things in terms of of infertility or long-term infertility secondary infertility but um, I think the, the things people say can be quite similar like everything will be okay well you don't actually know that or it will happen when you least expect it like, uh, like all of these things, uh, or given what we've been talking about, you just need to relax. 
<laughs> you know, in the entire history of the world, telling someone to relax is like literally the least likely thing to make them relax. Um, so how did you find comments from others? Both obviously, you know, we're talking about miscarriage, but also I guess about the fact that were people saying, when are you guys going to have a baby? Like, you know, you've been married. What, are you going to have a family? Because I think those questions can be quite, quite pervasive when you are in the moment and maybe not talking about it. I think um, going through it ourselves has made me realise that I would never ask somebody, um, oh, so you having a baby or when are you going mm-hmm. to start trying? So it's made me change the way I speak to people. I would ask or ask questions if my friends weren't forthcoming. It's a strange balance, isn't it? Because certain things aren't talked about enough. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, some people are too intrusive with their questions. There's this strange balance. I think it's almost, look, I think if you're, you know, you've got an exceptionally close relationship with someone or a couple, whether that be family or friends, then I think all of these things should be talked about more. We should be more open. But I think it's the conversations with people who are, you're not ready to go into that kind of level of depth with because you write people say throwaway comments. You, you mentioned a few there. And with guys, you know, there's a bit of, you know, banter, or, you know, letting your pence and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But it but it is. It, it can overstep the mark. And, you know, certainly for a, a lot of blokes, you try and laugh it off. But there's no doubt that some of those intrusive comments that were meant to be intrusive but felt intrusive because of the grief and the pressure etc I think that put more pressure on us Mm. and would sometimes upset you which then makes it more difficult when you get that window of opportunity in the week when the stick says when the temperature says etc etc the pressure goes up doesn't it I think that's like, you know, so essentially we're sort of talking about layer upon layer of, of pressure and overwhelm. You know, you start and you think, oh, well, you you know, you come off contraception and you think it's going to happen and maybe it doesn't happen. But you're like, that's OK, because I've been on a contraception and I know sometimes that can take a while for my cycle to sort itself out. And then there's a period of time and then, you know, you maybe start with the apps or, or peeing on sticks and that sort of other layers of pressure and stress if it's not, it's not happening. And then obviously you guys, you know, really sadly experience to miscarriage and that adds adds, as I said this layer of grief as well as further expectation and worry really about if it does happen again and then these you know and you are literally just building and building and building this stress and anxiety and and worry um and that's a huge thing to carry um when you're still going about your daily life kind of thing and people are giving you crap comments like when are you guys gonna have a baby and you're like the other thing as well, the other thing as well is, is that the more that pressure cooker builds, I'm going to go for it, the less enjoyable the sex becomes because it becomes yeah. more and more mechanical and clinical and organised. As the pressure builds, that becomes less of a loving, enjoyable thing and more of a process, which of course is, that's not totally. a positive thing for anyone in, at all. So, that also and there's like a performance anxiety (laughs) element as well and also and you know um I know too that there are like you you, when you're in this moment Google is can be a friend and a foe because you're like right okay well there's this position that'll make it happen or you know if I stick my legs in the air this is gonna happen or or if I eat 
sweet potatoes or some of the many weird things that you can find Google tells you to do when you're <laughs> trying to conceive. And that's like all like all of that takes away, as you say, from the love and the romance. Well, it doesn't take away from the love. It takes away from the, the romance yes. of it all, I guess. Yeah, agreed. So what did you feel like your options were? We've built all this kind of this pressure cooker of stress and things and where you just like, we just carry on. Um, should we look into some of the other um, options in terms of conception? What, where where were you guys at? It had been a year since the, uh, the so it had been a year and then Louise fell pregnant. Then we had the miscarriage. It had been a further year with the pressure yeah. gradually building. And that's when we started talking about, you know, do we go for tests? Do we see if there's anything wrong physically? Um, I feel like when I look back on that, it was that you. Was it, was, it was you, and I was like, "But we got pregnant twelve months ago. I don't think there's anything wrong. I think yeah. it's the pressure that's the problem. I think I don't yeah. think that you wanted to look into that, didn't you? You yeah. wanted to. You I know. started thinking, okay, what are the other options? Okay, so I need to go to the doctors. I need to get some tests. Not really sure what kind of tests they do, but um, that's what that's the route I want to go down. So because you were like, everything's fine, like. I, tr- I, tr- I, tr- I trust I trust it's going to be okay I maybe waited a few months before I, I had the courage to go okay I'm going to go to the doctors and talk to yeah. them about it um and then yeah I got a, I got an appointment it was in uh just before lockdown um so mm-hmm. I went to the doctors and I've got the blood tests I think to check are you ovulating what are your what are your levels different yeah. times and um, yeah. You had to go at a certain time of the month, I think, t- to get the blood tests, and then kind of lock, and then lockdown happened. Um, so everything and- stopped. Yeah, everything stopped. I never went for any tests. So, and did you get res- did you get your results, or did it just kind of disappear? There must have been pretty basic results just to say yes, you're up, you're late, and then your levels yeah. are okay. So it was like, oh, okay, so now we need to go to the- for the next sort of results, and then Paul needs to go as well. But then, but then it. Then COVID hit, and it was like, okay, we can't do any of those. Um, And had you, you know, we spoke at the beginning about whether you talked about having a family. Had you talked about some of the other ideas? Like, had you talked about IVF at this point, or had you talked about IUI or or adoption? Any of the other things were were they in your conversation, or were you not there yet? IVF, well, a couple of things were, but IVF certainly was, wasn't it? Yeah, they were definitely not conscious because um, we've got friends who've went down different routes, the um, IVF adoption. So we were aware of some of the options. So it was something that I was starting to think about and maybe uh, starting to worry like, okay, maybe we do need to go down the, the IVF route. Let's try that one first. And then and then you start thinking of, well, if that doesn't work, what are the other options? We spoke a little bit about adoption, maybe more me, the adoption, mm. actually. I was much more open um, at, that, at that stage and at various other stages to if this doesn't work we could adopt that that that's an option maybe that's what we're meant to do maybe there's a child out there that needs us so that was and you certainly weren't against that mm-hmm. but that was much more I was more open and relaxed about that particular option at the time I was comfortable that that might be the route that we had to go down so yeah those conversations were definitely coming up I, I don't want this to be a difficult question um 
um, sometimes these things like you're talking about having slight differences in opinions. Um, certainly when we had miscarriage, me and my husband experienced it pretty difficult, different, sorry, we experienced it quite differently. And that was quite hard because, um, I didn't feel like he really understood the grief that I had because he is a much more right. Okay. Like let's move on kind of a person. Um, Did you find that you guys were experiencing it differently and that was, that was proving difficult in your relationship or were you very much feeling like you were part of a team? What do you think? Mm -hmm. We do deal with things very differently. Mm -hmm. Um, Sort of when we had the miscarriage, I was like, okay, right. It's done. Let's try, like, for me, I would try not to think about it. Whereas you're much more of a thinker afterwards. Yeah. Um, so then, well, certainly in that situation, that hit, that hit you a little bit harder afterwards, I think. Or it affected you more afterwards. Maybe, I don't think it affected me more. I think it affected us both. But maybe I dealt with it a bit more quietly. Mm. I didn't want to upset you because I could see that particularly at the time Louise had some of her closest friends were having children and you mm-hmm. were happy for them, but there were moments where you you were finding that difficult. Mm-hmm. You were found, finding it difficult to be a supporting friend. and Which was, yeah, then you also, you feel awful yourself, I think, for, for finding oh, it totally. hard to, to deal with that. That period of time, it's the most upset I've ever seen. It's the most upset I've ever seen, definitely. So you're kind of saying you know, you tend to move on and, and often you do, you're very good at kind of like, you know, being in the now, but that's the most upset I've seen you. And I think as a result, I may be, I maybe kept my grief a little quiet from you because I didn't want to add to that layer of upset. So, you know, I think we were both as upset as each other, even though we do tend to in life deal with things in different mm-hmm. ways, but it's the most upset I've ever seen those few months afterwards, definitely. But then for the other, for, for IVF and stuff, I think we're both in it together. And Yeah. I think I was, all the way through, I was more relaxed about everything. Yeah. But I think that is easier for, for me to be more relaxed. And, yeah. you know, as we've said many times today, everyone is different. But I think in those, you know, when you're trying to, conceive when you go to the fertility journey there's pressure on the man there's no doubt about that there's pressure to perform deliver and turn up the certain certain days literally rise to the occasion yeah, absolutely <laughs> thank you but the pressure on you louise was yeah. it's it, the pressure on the woman is is undoubtedly more undoubtedly you know um, yeah and it, that can be intense, you know, for couples. I mean, obviously, you seem like a very strong, um, loving couple who understands each other. And, you know, even within that, there can be times, you know, as you say that, and sometimes because you are caring so much about you sort of dance around each other's grief as well, which can feel like you're not, even if it, you're doing it from a kind of loving point of view, it can feel like you're not connecting. Okay, so your story takes a wee bit of a twist here. <laughs> How did you end up going to see a Buddhist monk? <laughs> um, that's a great question. So look, we, we love to travel and um, we talked a lot about going over the years to Bhutan. Bhutan is a small kingdom, the last real kingdom left in the world between Nepal and India. And it come up and come and come up. We'd, ne- we'd never gone for whatever reason. And I bumped into a friend of mine in London one day and he looked a million dollars. I don't mean so much in a 
in a vanity type. No party shoes. <laughs> he was he was light and he was bouncy, and I was like, "Wow, look at you!" And he said, "I've just got back from Bhutan," and I spoke to him for two or three minutes, and I literally came home to Louise and went. We've got to go to Bhutan, and we booked in that hour or two. Like we've got to go, we've got to go. So, so when we, was this? This was um, this was a couple of months before lockdown. So this right. was January last year. So just at the time when Louise is starting yeah. going to see the doctor, and trying to have the the IVF adoption. What routes do we go down? We've got to, you know, we're two years into our fertility journey. We've got to look at this. So it was very much at that time. So um, we went to Bhutan, and unbeknown to us, um, there's a fertility temple in in Bhutan, which is um, very well known with the Bhutanese. If the Bhutanese are struggling to conceive, they go for a blessing in this fertility temple. Um, So we asked if we could go, obviously, why wouldn't you? Kind of thinking, you know, it'd be a bit of fun, it might help. So um, we went to this fertility temple, which is not particularly touristy. Bhutan isn't touristy. No. But this was a, you know, we were told before we got there, you know, this is very serious. You know, you need to treat this as a very serious experience. So we went to this um, temple up in the mountains of Bhutan, small temple, um, and we explained we were struggling to conceive. We asked if we could have a blessing. They said yes. Um, there's chanting, there's holy water, there's praying monks. You know, this was no one or two minute. Um, blessing this was you know a considered deep meaningful intense experience and the moment that will live with me forever is the monk brought out of the cabinet a 500 year old 50 centimeter long giant (laughs) wooden penis hands it ceremonially to Louise and this is serious and there's monks praying and there's holy water and there's chanting and it's like and they give this penis to Louise and they tell her via a translator to cradle his penis like a baby and then barefoot walk around the temple three times while that happens they're praying with me and Louise comes back in and there's more holy water and more chanting they give us um, necklaces, one of which I'm still wearing right now, um, a year and a half later. Um, they then ask us to um, pick a card from this ancient deck of parchment cards. And then they tell us after this experience that we will conceive within six months, that we are going to have a daughter, and they would like one of the names to be Kinlay. And finally, when we have our daughter, we must bring her back to the temple for a blessing. So that was a half hour experience in our lives that was just incredible. And we left that temple like, we're, we're going to have a daughter. We're yeah. going to have a daughter. We, 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 it's that moment, you know, when I met Louise, I knew. When you met your now husband, you knew. Like, we both left that temple going, okay. Yeah, there was like an energy. And we, we left sort of, we, we, we practically like, we're springing out of this temple on the on the way out and walking down the hill. Because at first, when you think you go in and you've got to okay, be serious, be serious, and there's a part of your brain thinking, "Am I? Is this crazy? Am I? Oh, <laughs> I'm holding a giant wooden penis." <laughs> so you had to just keep coming. Well, come on, this is going to happen. And they said, "You've got to think happy thoughts, and you've got to keep you've got to keep repeating it to yourself." So when we left, we we're like, "Wow, okay, this is really happening." And then it starts to sink in, and then you're like, "Is this happening?" 
it just, it just, so, for, for me, it took all of the pressure off. And I know, you know, you can kind of go, you know, oh, it's placebo effect or it's coincidence or, or, you know, or it was a religious spiritual experience. And everyone has their own opinion on that. But the fact is, I left that and the pressure for me disappeared. And the pressure for you, I don't think, went quite as much no. once it settled down. But I think it took some of the pressure off you. Yes. I mean, so we came back from Bhutan. Yeah. And then it was a few months later that I thought, oh, maybe I should go for the tests. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit and, and Paul was like, we'll be in the temple. It's fine. It's going to be fine. Just trust the process. And I had to trust the process because I couldn't get any more tests at the at the doctor's. So... And, but but everything but for me it made the, the release of pressure made it just made everything easier and we started backing away from the, like the stick the I was sticks, like let's yeah. get rid of the stick we don't mm-hmm. need the stick's not helping us let's get rid of that mm-hmm. the temperature thing I think it let's get rid exactly. of that so we started getting rid of the layers and kind of being aware of the dates but it wasn't like oh it's going to be you know, this hour on this day, it was like, ah, you know, there's the window, let's... Yeah. So all, everything became looser and more relaxed and it became, you know what it became again? For me, it became fun again. Yeah. It became fun. It became a fun experience rather than that mechanical... Well, I mean, a giant wooden penis would start the, the process of things being fun that again. That make things fun again. <laughs> Nothing else will. <laughs> Okay, so obviously our listeners don't know. So what happened next? Within six months, pretty much to the week, Louise became pregnant. Um, we now have a daughter, of <laughs> course. For the entire time Louise was pregnant, we didn't find out what sex we were having. And of course, the question everyone asked. You trusted the process. And I would say, we are having a daughter. And they go, oh, you have the test? I go, no, the monks told us. <laughs> a lot of people looked at us like we were mad, but we believed it. And we have a daughter. And the monks asked one of her names to be Kinlay. And her name is Amira Kinlay. It's so, it's such a beautiful story like you know I feel like I've had lots of goosebumps I don't think I've actually ever had goosebumps in a podcast that we've recorded (laughs) there's so many lovely things and surprise and and I think the beauty of life in that kind of messy funny giant wooden penis kind of a way (laughs) and it's so wonderful so firstly obviously congratulations Paul just kept saying uh, monks don't lie monks don't lie <laughs> that is a t-shirt <laughs> that's a slogan I've ever heard of. that was my fertility mantra monks don't lie monks don't lie this is all going to be fine yeah I had a wobble halfway through the pregnancy going oh my god we've just we've called it a girl all the way through well it's not a girl and it is a boy and I was like we're having a girl monks told, they told us we were told us we were having a girl I didn't doubt it all the way through all the way through not for a moment the power of positive thinking (laughs) you have such an incredible story obviously but it it doesn't always work out for for couples in in the way that it has for you guys so what would you like other people to know about fertility given this huge journey that you've been on like literally to Bhutan but you know the whole the whole process that you've experienced what would you like others to know I'm that person who while I was going through it, couldn't listen to when someone said relax, and it, it, I, I didn't want to hear it when people were saying it. But we, because we did try and chill out a little bit more, and 
um, we weren't so regimented on the five days it was, maybe every other. Or we tried to just have fun and have, we had like date nights during that time. And it's like, oh, well, we'll cook a nice meal tonight. And then, and oh, let's go for um, a nice walk or we'll watch a film one night. So we try to make it, it fun on the on the, the month that we conceived. The month that we conceived was the most fun <laughs> we've had in that week throughout the entire process, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? There's no yeah. doubt about it. We made it fun. And, you know, I think, you know, I would say to anyone, people say, oh, you just need to relax. And it is a very difficult thing to digest and take. But I think it's about trying to find ways yourself to make it romantic or fun or light. And, of course, all of these things with the apps and the ovulation period and the sticks and the thing, look into them. Try them. Maybe they're right for you, but don't become reliant and obsessed by them. There are so many options out there. Consider what's right for you. Maybe don't consider what you think you should be doing just because there's another thing on the market in the pharmacy that you've been told about. So I think try um, all those things. Some things might work for you, but I think you've got to find ways as a couple to talk and motivate each other to make it fun and light and romantic. It's not as easy as going, just relax. But when you really stop and think about it and talk to each other, there are ways to make it more relaxing. And the giant penis was maybe... <laughs> Go to Bitan. Yeah, that was our stimulus for the fun, the relaxation, so on and so forth. But so maybe that's the moment things started to change. But... As you say, that that thing can be different for different people. And obviously, you know, if there's physiological reasons that it's not happening, then that's, you know, no amount of monks or or things are going to help that. And you have to look at other options. But certainly for lots of couples, I think you're right, the pressure becomes pretty overwhelming. And sometimes I guess maybe the app can be the thing that takes the pressure away. If you're that kind of person, maybe the sticks are the thing that can take the pressure away. But as you say, for lots of people, that's not the case. And we all need a few more Buddhist monks in our lives, perhaps. But, you know, for that, that was the thing for you guys. And and that kind of, as you say, just putting your faith in something else. I and mean, that suddenly I'm feeling like this has become religious. <laughs> that all, but, you know, that, that kind of taking the pressure off yourselves. Yeah, 100%. Sarah, you, you've got to ask about sleep. I know you've been dying to. <laughs> How about sleep? Are you getting enough sleep? Okay, well, we're actually, because obviously this is a question that people ask, right? Um, we are almost embarrassed because... We are getting... You're the smug ones now. <laughs> sleep in this house is not a problem. And it hasn't really been a problem since day one. Amira is ten and a half weeks old. And, you know, maybe explain what the average pattern has been over the last three or four weeks. Um, so maybe, so about half seven, half eight... Um, she goes to sleep and then we'll wake up around three or four for a feed and then go back down and wakes up about about six ish and you feed her and sometimes she goes back to sleep and sometimes you're like okay it's six o'clock I can't expect you to go back to sleep let's get up um so for us I'm I'm like is she having too much sleep oh my god you must be the only person I am so sorry to our listeners, many of you <laughs> maybe not getting so much. <laughs> you obviously, we know lots of people who've got babies of the same age and, you know, it's, it's, it's a 10-hour block of sleep with a quick wake-up for a feed, but 
from start to feed to her being back down again could sometimes be like 20 minutes, right? Yeah. I'm touching wood for you, yeah. don't worry. Do you think, though, that maybe this this huge, very stressful, long journey for you, though, and then kind of that pressure being taken off by the monks has changed you guys as people and then ultimately as parents? Like, do you think you're more relaxed overall because of the experience that you've had? Oh, 100% we are a lot more chilled out. Um, we, we, you being in Bhutan and being around you know, that that whole time we were there changed us in so many ways. Even you know we lived in London for you know, Louise for fifteen years, me for twenty three years. We now live um, on the Northumberland coast near Newcastle by the beach. You know, it couldn't be more different from being in London, and and I don't think we would have moved here unless we'd been to Bhutan and kind of felt that slower more relaxed pace so i think we as people are more relaxed from the experience we went on i think um also our the, the geography of where we are is very dramatic mm-hmm. for that experience so we have an environment around us emotionally and physically that is extremely relaxed which is definitely helping um but also Louise and I both like our sleep. So we kind of, you know, I think our daughter has inherited some of that as well. That we might live in a world of information and we certainly know more about IUI, IVF, surrogacy, and now Buddhist monks. But there isn't one solution that's going to fit everybody. Like getting pregnant can be hard. Coping with not being pregnant can be really hard. And it's so much like when you're thinking about getting a new car and all you see is that new car. Waiting to be pregnant makes you feel like the entire world is pregnant. Just for any pregnant people listening, I'm not comparing you to cars, by the way. (laughs) But going from period to period to period, waiting to see the blood and desperately hoping not to can be unbelievably painful. So just know whatever your journey, wherever you land, if it's Bhutan or elsewhere, you're allowed to feel everything you're feeling. You're allowed to feel every emotion and it's okay. And don't be afraid to seek out help. It is out there, even out with COVID times and lockdown times. And uh, also if having a cuppa with a Buddhist monk is a bit far for you to travel, there are people that can help in the UK here too or wherever you live. Thank you so much to Louise and Paul. I've absolutely loved chatting to you guys. As I said, lots of goosebumps. What an incredible story. And thank you so much for sharing it with us and also with our listeners because I'm sure they'll love it as much as we do. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. And it got us thinking about, talking about things that we've actually not really spoke about. You know, kind of looking back on the journey, that's been that's been quite enlightening for me. Yeah, it's been a big journey. Yeah. yeah. If you need a bit of help and support getting your message across on video, look up paulweeden.com. He's your man. And thank you too to little Amira who loaned us her lovely parents and gave us this beautiful story. Thank you guys so much. Look after yourselves and sleep soon. <laughs>